Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 15, and then we're going to have Wayne come and uh, give a, a message for us. Okay, reading from Acts 6, 1 to 15. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained that the Hebrew-speaking believers, about the Hebrew-speaking believers, I should say, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. And we will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Philip, Prochorus, Nicantor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convent to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands upon them. So God's message continued to spread. The numbers of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. But one day, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Sicilia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. This roused the people, the elders and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses said, This man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel. Thanks, Wayne. Thank you very much, Blair. I want to take a little bit of time to unpack uh, this chapter from Acts, and I've given it a, a title that works. Six Leadership Lessons from Acts 6. How about that? You impressed? You don't need to be. But it just it kind of fell that way. Now, I'm focusing, actually, uh, we're not going to look at um, Stephen's execution. We're just going to focus on the first seven verses here. Um, so six leadership lessons from Acts 6. Now, obviously, this, this is designed, this is a leadership commissioning Sunday. I wanted to speak to the leaders about their responsibilities. But I think it's important that actually all of you understand things about leadership even though you don't carry responsibilities. Because one of the things, you critique leaders every day. Every time you see someone in the media, uh, particularly politicians that have responsibilities to lead, and they, something is being announced, and you pass a comment about that, you are making a leadership critique. When you speak about uh, things that are going on in FCC, you are critiquing the leadership. When you are speaking about things that are going on in New Life Church, you are critiquing the leadership. And uh, some of us, some of you, have not ever had the joy and challenge of carrying leadership responsibility. 
And part of what I want to do this morning is unpack a little bit of that. That might help you. Um, And I'm going to end with the challenge that you need to be praying daily for all of the leaders, as the scriptures say, uh, and encourage us to do. Because we need your prayers. So one of the things you might might like to think about right at the very beginning is if you see something that's failing in the school or the church, the first question you should be asking yourself is, have I been praying about that? And if you haven't, you should start praying there and then before you say anything else. Because that, like, I want to bring my heart again to align with God. One of the things that we see in Acts chapter 6, we see a couple of things. We see that, firstly, that growth equals change. We see that the believers were growing rapidly. Now, by the time we get to this point in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 6, and um, one of one of my favorite things to do is to invite people to reflect a little bit on the book of Acts. When I was... Uh, um, we'll just leave it at that. I say that a lot these days, and I kind of think it must be a different way to say it. But when I was younger, and I'm reading the book of Acts, and I'm like, I want a church that's like the, 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 the church in the book of Acts. How many of you think you want to be part of a church that's like in the, in the book of Acts? You know. Well, now the next question is, which chapter? Right? Acts chapter 2, the end of Acts chapter 2. What do you see going on? It's all great and glorious and wonderful. What happens in Acts chapter 3? They, they begin to be persecuted. Okay. And there's all sorts of things. Well, there's a healing that happens in Acts chapter 3, which leads to persecution in Acts chapter 4, which leads to a power encounter when they pray together. We want to pray and we want the power of God. I love that prayer, how Acts 4 ends. And it says, And the place where they were, sh- they were praying was shaken. I'm like, Wow. That would be an awesome prayer meeting. How many of you have been to a shaking prayer meeting? A couple of you have, where the, where the whole room has shaken. All right. So then you get into Acts chapter 5. Wow, who wants to be the Acts 5 church? Starts off good. Acts 5 starts off good. You've got Barnabas, generous man. And then you get Ananias and Sapphira. By the end, you've got two people dead carrying out because they've lied to the Holy Spirit. Who wants a church where if you lie, you die? Who wants to be part of that? Where our attendance count could go down significantly. Like, you know, it's just a white lie. Well, bang, you get taken out. So and then we get to Acts chapter 6. So it's a really, look, it's great to say we do want to be like, the church in the book of Acts, but we have to understand that the church in the book of Acts is pretty much the same as the church we got today. It's pretty messy, pretty complicated. People were still people back then. They're still like, you know, you don't suddenly get, when you become a Christian and you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't suddenly change your personality. You get magnified. You get larger. So, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Think about, you know, when, when the Spirit of God touches a person, you become more of who you already are. You don't suddenly change personality. That'll keep some of you thinking for a while. So one of the things we see is that growth equals change. That's what's happening here. And we see that leaders facilitate change. So primary things that, that leaders have to do is facilitate change. And that's an ongoing process. That, that 
never stops. So from a leadership point of view, the need for, for the leaders to be facilitating change as well as navigating change that's going on internally in themselves, this is a big challenge, everybody. So for you to think about when change is happening in your own life and you're adjusting and, and God's bringing issues up to the surface and you, you're, all, you're feeling all yucky and discombobulated, well, imagine having to lead an organisation when that's going on. It's challenging. I'll tell you from first-hand knowledge, it's challenging. You feel like you have periods of dryness where you, you, you sense you, you have a period of intense if you like, fellowship with the Lord and his presence is so sweet and it's adorable and wonderful and you're fully alive and the scriptures are fully alive and then you move into a different season and it feels like you're in a desert and you feel like, where did you go, God? What happened? Did, did I, you know... And try to lead a church when you're in a desert. You have to stay faithful to God. You just have to go, well, this is what I know. This is the last thing God said, so I'll just keep doing this. I can tell you I've led this church in places like that. It's not easy. It's challenging, very challenging. You have to stay anchored in, in the scriptures and in the character of God even when you don't feel him. So leaders have to facilitate change and they do all this and it's complex. So let's look at some lessons here. I've put them up in summary form here. Is that good? Did I choose the wrong background on that? Can you read that? Yeah, but can you read it is my question. <laughs> so I chose green because I think green is a sense of life and I wanted to have you know, growth, green things grow. That's, that's where I was going with this, so I hope it works for you. So six leadership lessons from the book of Acts. Let's say them together. Number one, growth changes relationships. Number two, growth means systems and processes need to be rebuilt. Number three, growth opens opportunities for people. Number four, growth requires new leaders who are well-respected and full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Number five, growth demands leaders reprioritize and delegate to competent people. Number six, growth amplifies the lack of people and resources. So... Let's have morning tea. Actually, no, I've got some other stuff I want to say. So, number one, I'm going to spend a bit of time digging into this. So, those of you that kind of get a bit preoccupied and you, the tension starts to build, because like he's taking a lot of time to go through this one, and there's another five coming after it. If we think of the coming, you know, just to let you know, I want to spend a lot of time in the first one, and then we'll move perhaps a little quicker through the others. Just want to keep your anxiety levels under control. Growth changes relationships. That's a good thing, right? But it's also a painful thing. Because the school has gone through a lot of growth. And a lot of it has been since the high school began in 2016. It's gone from 100 and something students to now 500 plus students. It's meant enormous changes. And the church, New Life Church, uh, we have grown as well. And uh, we began a growth spurt in about May last year. And now the hall has become uh, a bit squishy. 
on Sunday mornings. And so that's why I ran an experiment this morning with taking the children out to begin with to free up a bit more seats for others. So growth changes relationships. And one of the things that we're all tempted to do is we're tempted, we don't like it. We like who we like. We like people that we feel familiar with. And when all these new people start showing up, it becomes a little bit like, well, I don't know who you are, and I was here first, and I'm not sure I like you anyway, right? (laughs) And some of you are going to experience that when someone cuts in front of you at the morning tea line today. It's going to be just like, well, hang on, you know, I've been here for years. And that's what goes on here, if you look, right? So... Acts 6, the believers rapidly multiplied. And what's the next part of that sentence? There were rumblings of discontent. How could you be upset? More people are coming to Christ. Jesus is being magnified. The church is growing. But what's going on here? There's got this rumblings of discontent. Oh, it's too hard to find a parking spot. I've got to park all the way up the top there and walk down in the sun and the rain and the wind. Right? I can't get the seat. I used to sit over here. Now, there's always someone there before. I, they, you know, someone's taken my seat. I have to sit somewhere else. Right? All these kind of things. These are the things that we go, you know. This is, what, this is normal life. The temptation is, again... Because growth tests us, so we're all tempted to self-protect. Right? We're all tempted to protect ourselves, protect our territory, protect our turf, whatever that may be. Some new, ch- some new child has come into the class that my child is in and now my child doesn't get along and that, ki- that kid's you know, kicked him out of the pecking order and all this kind of stuff. And it's all like, Ugh! And so now we want we, our imposter. Now, what do I mean by an imposter? An imposter is that person that we become when we're afraid to be vulnerable and authentic. And we're going, I'm not sure if you'll like me, so I'll behave this kind of way. Because I do want people to like me. Everybody wants people to like them. Like None of us sign up and get up in the morning and go, I hope people don't like me today. When I go to work, I hope the people I work with don't like me. None of us think that. When, we, when, a, when a child comes into this school, none of, none of the children come to school saying, gee, I hope people don't like me at school today. None of us do that. So what do we do? We create the person, we become the person who we think is the least likely to be rejected. That's what we do. We do it everywhere. We especially do it when we're in a new environment we're around people and our insecurities drive us to that because we're all about protecting ourselves from being hurt and protecting ourselves from being rejected so we put on who we think people won't reject it doesn't mean that's not part of us it is part of us but we we pull out a whole lot of behaviors and things so that if people reject the imposter I'm safe because they didn't reject me. They just rejected the person I'm not. I'm still safe. You see how that works. The other thing that happens with, with growth when it, because it changes relationships is that we, 
we actually discover how weak and shallow our love really is. We do. I, people, we would be better off to say we Christians are really good at being nice. Love is something totally different. And when we find ourselves and things are shifting around about us and we're putting on this imposter and we're doing all these kind of things, we actually find out how weak my, our capacity to love people is. Really, that's what we've hit up against, how shallow it is. Like, I was able to love people when there was a smaller group of them. I was able to love them. But now there's too many of them and I can't love them. And my world's too, and it's too chaotic and it's too confusing and I don't know what to do. And so one of the things that growth does is it forces us to ask the question, to say, will I ask God to enlarge my heart? Because that's what I need to do. This is what Julie and I have learned to do over the years. We've learned to go, God, what I need is I need a heart enlargement, heart enrichment, whatever language you like to. I need my capacity to love to be enlarged because I've quickly run out of anything I've got for people. I need my heart enlarged. And so I'm saying, that's what I want you to do, God. God, will you enlarge my heart? Can you think of a situation where uh, new people come and you never have to ask for your heart to be enlarged? This is a trick question, so be careful. Someone said it. Call it out. Be bold. Babies. Babies. Yes. How many parent has given birth to a child? Women. Women give birth to children. <laughs> but husbands are there as well. And they went, oh boy. I need to have my heart enlarged because I'm never going to be able to love this little kid. Right? I tell you, the other people that doesn't apply to is grandparents. Grandparents. We never have to. We never go. Oh goodness, we've got more than enough children and grandchildren that we could love. We could. How are we going to love this other one? This new one. Some of you know that Julie and I just had this happen to us. We just hadn't. Well, we, we didn't have another grandchild, but we've got another grandchild. Our, our daughter-in-law and son had another child. You see, that's kind, that is love, right? We don't have to ask for that. We just do that. And that's where the place that God wants to bring us to. When you think of God, what, is, what does God do? When, when someone, when you surrendered your life to Christ, came through faith into the family of God, do you think God went, gee whiz, how much, oh, the family's pretty tight, how am I going to fit this one in? Right? God didn't think like that because his heart was already beyond anything we know or imagine. So it forces the season of, will I ask God to enlarge my heart? And that's what I want to challenge you this morning. I found this great quote from C.S. Lewis because a lot of people think that love is something it's not. And I thought this was a good way of saying it, this quote from C.S. Lewis. Love is not affectionate feeling, but a steady wish for the loved person's ultimate goal, ultimate good, as far as it can be obtained. I thought that was really good. I don't know what you think of that, but I'll put it on the screen because I reckon it's really good. And, and why is the cross there? Why did I choose an image with the cross? I chose an image with the cross because that is God's love made manifest to us. That is God doing what what needs to be done for our ultimate good. 
which was to take on himself the suffering that was due to us as rebellious people sinning against him who wanted nothing to do with him. God took on himself the suffering that should be belonging to all of us. That, do you think he felt good about that? Do you think he had gooey feelings? Think, think Jesus didn't have any gooey feelings going on. Well, he's hanging on the cross, redeeming you and me and the whole world from sin. So this, rea- this is a strong definition of love, isn't it? So think about it in your context. Think about someone who you find maybe impossible to love. One of those rubbery people. They just rub you up the wrong way. Got someone in mind? Hopefully it's not me. Pray for me. Um, and you go, okay, so what if I actually took C.S. Lewis at his word? What if I, what if I began to shift my heart to wantons? Okay. That's the end of point number one. Now we're going to go through the other ones. So back to six leadership lessons. Number two, growth means systems and processes constantly need to be rebuilt. It's simple fact. What worked in the past no longer works. It becomes obsolete. It was like, hey, we had a good thing going and now all these people are here and now it doesn't work anymore. You know, systems crash and all those kind of things and they have to be rebuilt. And people get frustrated because the system is no longer working. And, so, and what do we do when we're frustrated? Oh, now we spread that good news on social media. We post comments wherever we can post them. We let people know we're not happy that the system is broken because we think they don't know the system's broken. We think the leaders don't know. Well, sometimes they don't, but most of the times they do, and they're peddling very hard behind the scenes to keep this thing going as well as building a new system in the background so they can like put, put the new system in place and it will keep going on. That's why you need to pray for your leaders because what worked in the past doesn't work and it means things have to be rebuilt. So number three, growth opens opportunities for more people to contribute. Okay. See, what happens here is the 12 in this Act 6, right? There's this thing going on. There's rumblings. There's discontent. There's a problem with the distribution of food. You understand that? When did, where did you see that the church began a feeding program? In the previous chapters of Acts, where did you see that? They're like, like they're, everyone's happy, aren't they? They're happy clappies. But now we've got a problem because they're actually distributing food and they're doing it daily. And there's a conflict because the, the, it's put very politely in the New Living Translation, the Hebrew-speaking widows, because their responsibility in the Scriptures is to care for the widows and the orphans and the poor. So... The Hebrew-speaking widows and the Greek-speaking widows, what does that tell you? You've got, yes, you've got clashing cultures, you've got things changing, people going on. Right? It gets messy. You put a bunch of people together, they've come under the lordship of Christ, but they're still who they are. They still have their own ethnic preferences and things going on, and people still feel like it's not fair. That's what... that's. That would be the way to say it, okay? So there's the, the Greeks' widows are complaining that they're being discriminated against. 
They're getting, not getting enough food. The Jewish ladies get all the food. So the system's broken, isn't it? What was working now got all these new people added in, got all these different dynamics going on relationally, and so the process needs to be rebuilt, and new people have to step up into these opportunities, which is what happens here. And so the, the solution that the apostles give is that the people are to choose seven men who are well respected and full of the Holy Spirit and with them. And the apostle said, we will give them this responsibility so that we can focus on our core responsibilities of prayer and teaching the word. And so this is what happens. New opportunities open up for people. It's wonderful. But all of a sudden, someone who you might have related closely to, now you perhaps are a bit removed from them and now there's someone else managing that. You're probably going to find that happening a bit more in New Life Church. Some of the people that you used to have access to, you might not have as free access to because, because we've grown and because peop, new people have to step into those responsibilities. It's okay. You are still being loved. It happens in the school. You are still being loved. You have to learn to relate to different people. Now, the next one is that growth requires new leaders who are well-respected and full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Leadership selection is, is challenging and difficult. It's become more difficult. It's become more complex in, in my lifetime. As our society has continued to fracture, there was a time when, when our society collectively, the Australian people collectively, believed that if someone had not been faithful in their marriage, they were disqualified from being a member of parliament and certainly disqualified from being the prime minister of the nation because they were not faithful. They could not be trusted. We've moved a long way from that. And the church has moved a long way from that as well. And men and women in ministry have done terrible things and been disqualified and been removed and they can be reconciled to God and they should be reconciled to God through repentance but that doesn't necessarily mean that they should be restored to a position of trust in the body of Christ it doesn't mean that necessarily it's something to be taken very carefully and so this whole idea how do you identify someone who's well-respected and full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. How do you identify someone like that? It's not a popularity contest. It's a whole different thing in the body of Christ. It's a whole different reality that we look for in New Life Church when we are looking to appoint leaders and when we're looking to hire staff for Fremantle Christian College. It's a different criteria to what we use in, in the culture. I want to encourage you to ask yourself this question. If New Life was looking for leadership, could you be selected? Would, would, do you fit this criteria that you are well respected both inside the church and outside the church? 
that if someone went through your uh, life with a fine-tooth comb, would they find something they could use against you? If you, be, if you were appointed into a leadership position within, within New Life Church, I use the church specifically because we are always held to a much higher standard, and someone went through your life and found something and, and you hadn't made that known and they put that on the front page of the West Australian, that's always the test. If this went on to the front page of the West Australian, would it pass the test? Would people say, oh yes, that's a well-respected person? If someone said, yes, this person is full of the Holy Spirit, how would you make that determination? How do you make the determination that someone is full of the Holy Spirit? How would someone make the determination that you are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom? It's an important question to answer. How, how do you know? And for, for those of you that think being full of the Holy Spirit means praying in languages you de- you've never learned, we call that praying in tongues. It's, it's not a particularly clever way to say it. It's a poor translation. But it's like if someone prays in tongues, does that mean they're full of the Holy Spirit? Mm, no, it doesn't. Not in this case. Doesn't mean their character is being transformed, because praying praying in an unlearned, unlearned language is a gift. Doesn't tell you anything about their character. I I wrote a prophecy to the church at the beginning of January. Who remembers what that was? Few people do. What was it? Fruitful. I, pro- I prophesied a fruitful year for all of us. And what fruit was I referring to? The fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's right. I was prophesying that the thing you can be 100% confident on for 2024 is that God wants to grow the fruit of the Spirit more in your life. So really, we want to, when we're looking, about, looking for people who are full of the Spirit, we want to see, is there really clear evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in their lives? Okay, I've got to keep moving on. Growth demands leaders, this is number five, demands leaders reprioritize and delegate. So we've touched a little bit of that. But here, I don't, it would appear that perhaps the apostles were running this food distribution program. It's not clear, but they, they seem to say, we can't do this anymore. We have to do this. We have to, our priority is to give ourselves to prayer and the teaching of the scriptures. That's our priority. And, and so we need to find other people to do this work over here. It's important work, but other people can do this. This is the thing that only we can do. And that's one of the challenges for leaders as organisations grow is to say, is to let go of things. And it, some things are easy to let go of and other things you really like doing and you, it's very hard as a leader to let go of some things. But that's what, but it's not just the leaders who need to let go, it's the people that need to let go of the leaders as well. I'll give you an example. One church I heard of where they, they grew and there was a period of time where the lead pastor, they grew to be thousands of people, and the lead pastor was doing, like, he did all the weddings and it was exhausting him. He was sometimes having two weddings on the weekend. Because all these people, and he's like, I can't keep doing this, right? And so they went through a process, they had a conversation, we need to train up someone to do the weddings. He says, I can't do them anymore, I'm, I'm out, right? 
What would happen if, if you were waiting? If you're like, we just got engaged, you're, you're a guy. It's like, I'm sorry, I'm not your guy. This is the guy now, or this is the gal, or, you know, however that works. Okay, but what happened in that congregation was that people left. It's like, oh, if he's not marrying my kid, we're out of here. It's like, really? That's pretty sad, isn't it? Wouldn't that be an indicator of a lack of love on their part? Shouldn't they have asked it? God, enlarge my heart. We're disappointed that it's not going to be him, but they're still going to get married. Isn't that the object of the exercise? They get married? Isn't that the purpose of the whole thing? Who cares who actually does the ceremony in one sense? right? Is that where the value is? No, the value is in they actually got married and they began to build a life together. That's what's really important. So this whole idea of leaders... Growth demanding leaders reprioritize and delegate so that they focus on the things only they can do and delegate everything else to competent people. It's important that they be competent people. So that's sometimes as leaders we have to hang on for things way longer than we want to because we're waiting for the right person. Because if we delegate it to the wrong person, I can tell you having done this, tell you from my living experience, you delegate something to the wrong person, you end up with a mess, you've got to clean up, it's a lot more work. Better to wait till you get the right person to do that. But there's some responsibilities that can't be delegated. There are things that are in my role and in Julie's role and there are things in the principal's role that he cannot delegate. They, they do, we need to do those things. So, And one of the things that none of us, no leader, none of the deputies, the principal... None of us can delegate prayer or knowing God's word or obeying God's word. You can't delegate that. You can't go, here, can you, 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 do the, you, do, you pray for me. Here, you study the Bible for me. You obey God for me. You can't delegate that. None of us can. That's all, of, all on us. We all have to do that ourselves. So, and finally, I'll just say that growth amplifies the lack of people and resources because you, res- you had resource that covered where you're at and then you grow and now the resource, you, everything is amplified because you don't have the resources that you need to do this work, whether it's people or equipment. And it's like you're scrambling around, you're trying to find those resources. What I'm trying to say to you is these are some of the challenges that leaders face. Some of you have never faced these kind of challenges and you don't understand what's required. I hope you're going to leave here today with greater understanding of what's involved and the responsibility that leaders carry and, they are, and have confidence that they are working faithfully and diligently. There are a couple of pitfalls we all need to be aware of. So a couple of quotes from uh, Peter Scazzaro, who runs something called Emotionally Healthy Leadership, and he put this up. He said, emotionally unhealthy Christian leaders do more activity for God than their relationship with God can sustain. I'll say, it's on the screen, but I'll say it again. Emotionally unhealthy Christian leaders do more activity for God than their relationship with God can sustain. Now, on my computer, that was a little gif, but when we imported it in here, it stopped. But the thing is, so in other words, what was happening is that there was water pouring into that cup, but it was never getting fuller. The le- level of liquid was not changing. 
And one of the most important things, whether you're an FCC staff member, whether a New Life board member or pastor, is to deal with the stuff in our own hearts and to fill our cup. Make sure that we are getting the time with God to fill our cup. Not doing more activity for God, stuff for God, even, you know, it's all good than what our hearts can sustain. And the second one is about slave drivers. And if we fail to realize that who we are on the inside informs every aspect of our leadership, we'll do damage to ourselves and to those we lead. And I deliberately used fire with this because fire burns. Fire in the right place gives heat, right? Fire in the wrong place does damage. And this reality that if we don't understand who, what's going on inside as a leader, so this is why you need to pray for leaders, but all of you, you've got stuff going on on the inside and if, you didn't, if you're not dealing with that and taking care of that, then you, you'll be burning people. You'll be burning your relationships around you. Whether you're in leadership or not, that's just the truth of that reality. What's inside us will inform all of our relationships and it will bring damage. So when you've got a trail of damage, if you look around you and you go, well, if I do a bit of a relationship survey of my life, I can see like, it's all these relationships that are damaged. The question is always, hey, what's going on in me that I need to take care of? Because I'm the common denominator with all these damaged relationships. Let's end on a positive note. That healthy growth is beautiful. Chapter Verse 7 of Acts 6 says, So God's message continued to spread. That's good news, isn't it? God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem and many of the Jewish priests were converted as well. There's a lot in that statement which I won't unpack. But it's this reality. You see, actually... Healthy growth is beautiful, just as that picture shows. You know, you can imagine yourself walking along that path. You're beautifully shaded by the big trees. You've got the lovely stream beside you. That's beautiful growth. But at some point, that was a path, probably by the river, and it was just sand here, and the trees hadn't grown. But when they grew, they become something beautiful. And that's what we want. We want healthy growth. Because healthy growth is beautiful and God makes things beautiful things. So let me finally say again, pray for your leaders. Paul talks about this in 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. But there's other places where we're encouraged, the believers are constantly encouraged to pray for leaders. I'll just say to you that leadership often feels lonely and dry and barren, a bit like that picture on the screen. You know, there's some bits of green but it's rocky, it's hard going, you're doing the best you can. You sometimes feel like you're taking two steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, one step back. You're making progress, but you're always aware that often you're aware, very aware of where you're failing because you're always seeing what there's more that needs to be done as a leader and you're working as hard as you can for it, but you're aware that you're still falling short. You need to pray for your leaders so that they don't give up and because they're discouraged. That they need, you need to stop and look back and, and encourage and affirm and go, look how far we've come. Yes, there's still challenges. There's always challenges. But let's stop, give thanks to God 
Look how far we've come and let's set our face towards him. Because he is the one that we are in relationship with. It's his kingdom that we are engaged in partnering with him to build for his glory. Will you pray with me and the worship team will come up. Just invite you to close your eyes and bow your head and the question I want to come back to is this one about will you ask God to enlarge your heart to love and I want to encourage you right now where you're at seated there say give God permission say God I recognize my lack of love I recognize that my love is weak and shallow I've got people in my life that I really love a lot, but I've got other people in my life which is, it's weak and shallow. God, enlarge my heart to love. Which Heavenly Father brings us to understand more of why Paul prayed for the Ephesians that their love would grow, that the roots of their lives would grow down deeper into the soil of your marvellous love. And people who are here this morning, if that's your prayer, would just speak that out to God. Just say, God, please take the roots of my life deeper into the soil of your marvellous and magnificent love. That I'd be firmly grounded have a root system that's strongly embedded in your love. That my life is being nourished from that place of your love, God. And my heart is filled and overflowing with your love for the people I live with, the people I work with, the people I go to school with. And I'll be someone who demonstrates you God because you worked for my ultimate good that was the way your love was manifested in my life God you worked for my ultimate good in the cross of Christ help me be a person who doesn't rely on affectionate feelings and emotions in the moment but actually continues to do the, what is ultimately good for the people around about me. My Father, as one of the leaders that you have appointed in New Life Church and Fremantle Christian College, my prayer is for all of the leaders that stood on this stage earlier today and we commissioned them, as well as those who weren't able to be there. My prayer for them, Lord, is that all of them will be well respected, full of the spirit and wisdom. God, that they would come every day. We would all come to you every day, God, and ask you to fill our cup. And God, that might mean, that will mean, God, you showing us where the holes in our cup are because of the heart issues that we've got going on. So God, will you deal with us in our heart, in the innermost place? 
Lord, I know there's still work to be done in my own heart. And so I don't pray as someone who has it all together, but I pray as a fellow journey, someone on the pilgrimage with all these other leaders, that Christ would be more and more formed in us. So Lord, this is my prayer. As we head out of here and into this week, to serve you in the places where you have put us to serve. That we will lead people the way that Jesus leads people. So let Christ be formed in us more and more. I pray for his honour and glory. Amen.